right, before we dive in, I wanted to take just a moment and uh, mention a couple of things. One, I'm glad to be back with you. I missed you all last week. I was laid up on my couch at home recovering from some surgery, and uh, I'd hoped to be here, but that just didn't happen. So uh, I'm here today, and if you see me moving slowly or dragging my right leg behind me, you know why I'm doing it, okay? Um, I got cut on, but... um, couple of things, a couple of things. I, I told you last series that I wanted to make it a point for each of the series that we do here at Westridge to just put some resources in front of you so that you can continue to grow in faith, grow in understanding, um, grow spiritually on your own outside the walls of the church. And so um, I picked up this great book a couple of weeks ago, and I've been reading it as I've been uh, studying for this series. It's a book by N.T. Wright called Small Faith, Great God. Small Faith, great God. And uh, I want you to write it down, type it in in the notes on your phone. You can go on Amazon and pick this thing up for like 12, 15 bucks. But again, as we're in this series talking about faith, talking about courage, I just think this is a great resource um, for you guys to pick up, read. And again, you'll be able to go deeper than what we're allowed to go in 35 minutes on a Sunday morning. So go pick that book up. N.T. Wright, he's a great thinker, but he's also a great writer. And so You'll be able to understand them, all right? Um, One other thing, and then we'll dive in. I wanted to just update you again on Community Makeover. It's happening next weekend, October the 6th, here in Bartow County. And we've got about 150 volunteers signed up from our church to take part in this. And uh, here's what I want to say to those of you who still haven't signed up yet. It's not too late, all right? It's not too late. Today is the final registration day for Community Makeover. And you can sign up until midnight tonight, all right? You can stop in the lobby on your way out and sign up for a service project uh, at our Community Makeover table. Or this afternoon, you can go on to westridge.com, click on the Community Makeover link, and sign up for a project there. But once again, church, this is just an opportunity for us to get outside the walls of our building together as the church, and to serve our community, to bless our community in the name of Jesus Christ. And so I hope and pray that you, will, that you really will consider being a part of this if you haven't signed up for it already. If you have, don't forget, be here 9 a.m. next Saturday morning and wear your blue Westridge shirt if you have one. If you don't have one, you can buy one from us for $10 and uh, you can make sure you wear it. All right? Well, let's do this. Let's get our Bibles. Let's go to Daniel chapter 6. Daniel chapter 6. This morning, we're going to cover a topic that I believe is critical for us to understand as we talk in this series about having faith in a great God and living a life of courage in this world as followers of Jesus Christ. Now, here's the topic. The topic is suffering. Suffering. Now, I want to clarify on what kind of suffering I'm talking about because I know many of us sitting in the room when we hear that word suffering, our brain has a tendency to automatically go to things like losing loved ones, um, losing jobs and businesses and homes and possessions, families being ripped apart. For some of us, it goes to times of extreme sickness. For others of us, it goes to, you know, times in life where we were abused or abandoned or or taken advantage of. And so everybody in the room, I believe this morning, probably has an understanding in some way of what it means to suffer in this world, me included. But that's not the kind of suffering that I'm talking about this morning. 
Over the next few weeks of this series, we're going to talk about the kind of suffering that I just described, and so make sure you're here and bring some people with you. But the suffering we're going to talk about this morning is different than what I just described. The kind of suffering we're talking about today is this. It's the kind of suffering that comes when you actually live a devoted life for the sake of Jesus Christ. That's the kind of suffering I'm talking about. Like, when you read this book, what you find is this. The Bible teaches that for those of us who love Jesus, are following Jesus, are faithful to Jesus, living in obedience to Jesus, walking outside the walls of this church and opening our mouths and talking to other people about Jesus, the Bible says we will suffer. We'll suffer. Like there's a promise in the scripture, several different places will suffer. People might talk poorly about us. People might lie behind our backs. People may even treat us really poorly at times according to the Bible. There are actually places in our world still today, places like Iran and Egypt and Pakistan and Nigeria and others where if someone lives a life devoted to Jesus Christ and they speak his name, they are in danger literally of being hunted down, arrested, and even killed for his sake. And you know what's happening to the church in places like that? It's not dying, it's exploding. It's exploding. The promise from the scripture is, again, devote your life to Jesus, follow him, and you will suffer. It may look different for different people in different parts of the world, but the promise is the same. Now, if you were one of those people that came in today and you thought, man, devotion to Jesus and faithfulness to Jesus and obedience to Jesus means suffering goes out the window, right? Like maybe you're one of the people that have heard pastors say, man, if you live a life where you're following Jesus, it's all good, it's all peachy, it's all blessing, um, you're able to avoid suffering. Let me just read you some verses from the Bible so that we're all on the same page, okay? And you can follow along up on the screen. John 15, 18 through 20. This is Jesus speaking to his followers. He says, if the world hates you, no, it's hated me before I hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. In Acts 14, we read about the early church. And the Bible says when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and listen to this, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Romans chapter 8, 35 and 36, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 11. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed but not driven to despair, persecuted but not forsaken, struck down but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Now, listen to 2 Timothy 3.12. I don't know that it gets much clearer than this. 2 Timothy 3.12, indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. 
right? There's not much left open to interpretation when it comes to that verse. If you want to live in obedience to Jesus, want to be faithful to Jesus, want to follow Jesus, you're going to be persecuted. In 2 Peter, or in 1 Peter, I'm sorry, chapter 4, 12 through 14 and verse 16, here's what Peter says to the church. He says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Peter goes, man, you suffer persecution, um, you suffer hardship for the sake of Jesus, don't act like something weird's going on. Like that's normal for people who live lives of faithfulness to Jesus Christ and his kingdom. He said, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. If you're insulted for the name of Christ, listen to this, you're what? You're blessed. You are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. Now listen, church, I could go on and on and on and on and on. We could use our entire 35 minutes together just reading verses about suffering for the sake and the name of Jesus Christ. But I think we're all smart people and I think we get the point, right? And what's the point? If you love Jesus, if you're devoted to Jesus, if you're living a life that honors Jesus in this world, you will suffer. That's the promise. Now, um, I know what you're all thinking. You're all thinking, I'm so glad I came to church today to receive this awesome, life-changing news, right? Glad I'm here. Um, Listen, in reality, though, before you go there, before you start questioning Why is today the day I got out of bed to come at 10.30 to church? Let me tell you why this is so critical and important for us to understand. Because if we as Christ followers go out into the world and we truly strive to live lives that makes Jesus famous, we strive to live lives that make Jesus known to people around us, and we don't expect hardship and persecution and suffering to come, you know what's going to happen when it comes? We're going to bail. Things are going to get too hard, and we're going to bail on everything we've ever said we believed in, right? Like, we bring up Jesus, and we start living a life that honors Jesus, and we don't get invited to the neighborhood barbecue anymore, right? Our family looks at us and goes, do we have to invite them to Thanksgiving dinner? Like, something's happened, and they're weird now, and they won't shut up about this Jesus guy, Right, people who used to be your friends aren't really sure if they want to be your friend anymore and they kind of talk behind you, behind your back and they even say weird things to your face because they see you as nothing more than some weirdo who is like on this Jesus high and they wish that you'd just shut up, right? And again, listen to me, you don't expect hardship to come your way. You don't expect suffering and persecution to come your way from other people. That stuff's going to come and you're jumping ship. You're going to make a decision at that point if you really want to be in or out. And some of you are going to go, I didn't know this. The preacher didn't tell me that. I don't think I signed up for this part of Christianity. But again, the promise from the scripture is this is part of following Jesus. Suffering, hardship, persecution, being treated poorly, being talked about being lied about behind your back. This is part of following Jesus. And so listen to me, church. If we do expect that stuff to come as we follow Jesus in the world and we know how to respond when it does come our way, listen to me, our faith in Christ will become more real to us and the world around us than we can possibly imagine. And we're gonna read some verses from Daniel 6 together and I'm gonna show you what I'm talking about. And so we're gonna pick up in verse 1. Now we're going to start reading a very familiar story probably for a lot of us. One of my favorite stories from the scripture. Daniel 6, starting in verse 1. 
The Bible says it pleased Darius, who was king over Babylon during this time, it pleased Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be throughout the whole kingdom. And over them there were three high officials or presidents of whom Daniel was one to whom these satraps should give account so that the king might suffer no loss. And then this Daniel became distinguished above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to set him over the whole kingdom. But then the presidents of the satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom, but they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful and no error or fault was found in him. And then these men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So let's hit the pause button right there and make sure we get this right. There's a king over Babylon. His name is Darius. And he decides one day he wants to reorganize his entire kingdom. And so the Bible says he takes 120 men and he uses those guys much like governors in his kingdom. They rule throughout the kingdom and they collect money from people under their leadership as those people's tribute back to the king. Now over the 120 satraps or governors, he appoints three high officials or presidents. And Daniel's one of these guys. And their job again is simply to lead the 120 men who are serving as governors. Well, Daniel, what we just read... He was the standout from all of those 123 men. Like he was best of the best. And King Darius is looking at Daniel and going, man, he's sharp and he's smart and there's something different about him. And he's got leadership skills above and beyond the rest. I think I need to take Daniel and make him my right-hand man and give him authority over my entire kingdom. Now, the other 122 guys, they were a little jealous of Daniel because of this. And you guys know when people get jealous, they start doing stupid stuff, right? And so these men, they come together, they start conspiring, they start plotting against Daniel. How in the world can we take him out to make sure he doesn't have authority over us or any parts of the kingdom that we're leading? And they dug into his life and they followed him around and, you know, they hired, you know, uh, private investigators. Not really, but maybe. Um, And they couldn't find anything wrong with him. They came back together and said, dude, there's no way in the world we're going to be able to put something on this guy because there's nothing wrong with him. He's such a man of character and integrity. And one of the guys speaks up and says, you know what? He's really devoted to his God. He's really faithful and obedient to the God he says he loves. What if we tried to use his relationship with God somehow to plot and conspire against him? And so that's what they do. And we'll keep reading in verse 6 and see what happens. The Bible says, then these presidents and satraps came by agreement to the king and said to him, O king, Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects, the satraps, the counselors, and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an injunction that whoever makes petition, any god or man for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions." Now, O king, establish the injunction and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. And therefore, King Darius, sign the document and injunction. So you got these 122 guys who come in and they turn into the biggest brown nosers in the world, right? These guys are suck-ups, and they come to the king and say, King, you are amazing, and you're so handsome, and there's never been a king like you, and we love you, and you deserve so much more credit than anybody in this kingdom gives you. And so, King Darius, we came up with an idea, and our idea is this. For the next 30 days, we think you should play the role of God. 
King Darius, what we think is we should sign a law that says for the next 30 days, nobody can pray to, bow down, or worship anybody or any God except for you, King Darius. Again, you're awesome, bro. That's why we're doing this, right? And what does King Darius do? He, like some of us, he gives into the flattery and he goes, man, I am pretty awesome and I am an amazing king and I do deserve more honor and more recognition and people should bow down to me and pray to me and worship me. And so they hand him the document and he signs it. Now, what's interesting is how Daniel responds after he hears about this ordinance that's been signed. Look at Daniel 6.10, just this one verse, and see what Daniel does. The Bible says when Daniel knew that this document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper chamber open toward Jerusalem, and he got down on his knees three times a day, and he prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. I mean, how insane is this? Daniel hears if anybody prays to, worships, bows down to any God other than King Darius for the next 30 days, that person will be thrown into a hole in the ground full of lions. And what does Daniel do? He doesn't go, hey, God, it's only 30 days, right? God, listen, I'll be back in about a month, but you heard, I mean, if if I stay faithful, if I remain obedient, right, I mean, I'm going to be eaten alive by lions, and no one wants that. I mean, that's a bad day when you get eaten by a lion, right? And so Daniel doesn't go, God, it's only 30 days. I'll bow down to King Darius. I'll be back. Just hang on. Be patient with me. He doesn't do that, right? He doesn't go home and close all of his windows and all of his doors and say, okay, God, it's me and you three times a day in private so in this environment, I'll be faithful, I'll be obedient, right? I'll put on the show, right? It's me and you. But out there where everybody else is, man, I'm hiding. I'm going to do the King Darius thing. So in here, I'll act and live a certain way. And out there, I'll act and live a certain way so that I can hide and not have to suffer and not have to, you know, look at being thrown into the lion's den. What does he do instead? He goes home with windows open, with doors open, and he gets on his face three times a day and he prays and he bows down to and he worships his God just as he had done previously. Now listen to me, church. Daniel was a guy who as a teenager, he was kidnapped by the Babylonians and he was forced into a culture there that was constantly trying to rob him of his God-given identity. Daniel was a guy whose three friends, in Daniel 3, you can read about this, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were thrown into a fiery furnace for refusing to bow down to a big golden statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had made, right? So listen to me, I'm saying that to say this, I don't think Daniel was the guy who when he heard about the ordinance went, they're not going to throw me into the lion's den, no way. I mean, I'll pray, I'll worship. I'm buddies with the king. There's no way in the world they're gonna let that happen to me. I'm good. No, Daniel knew exactly what would happen. If I pray, if I worship, if I bow down, um, I'm hanging with lions later today. He knew what was coming his way. And what did he do, church? Got on his face. Even if it meant suffering, even if it meant persecution, even if it meant death. He got on his face and he remained faithful to God. Now, here's the question I want to ask all of us. And I want you to think about this for yourself as an individual today. What would you do if this was you 
having to make a decision like this. Like somebody came to you and said, man, remaining faithful, remaining obedient, following Jesus, man, it means suffering, persecution. It means, dude, your head's chopped off. It means you're eaten alive by wild animals, right? Or on the other side of that, man, if you just shut your mouth, fall in line, conform to the world around you, don't worry, it won't cost you a thing. Like what choice do you make as a person here this morning who says, I know Jesus, he saved me, I believe he's given me eternal life. What choice do you make? Now, um, in a room this size, I would just go ahead and assume that there are probably some of us here today that every day are choosing to conform to the world around us rather than remaining faithful to God because we're not sure what it might cost us if we truly live in obedience to Jesus. And I'll try to paint a picture of this for us so we get it, okay? Like, think about your job you go to every day. The sad reality for some of us in the room today is we work in cubicles or in workstations next to people all day, every day that don't even know we're Christians because we're so good at hiding our faith. And our worry is, if I'm faithful to Jesus here, if I say the name of Jesus here, people are going to think I'm weird. I might get fired. I might lose something, right? And so we live our lives every day conforming, mouth shut, falling in line, never mentioning Jesus because we're worried about what it might cost us. Um, Some of us, you know, again, around our families, we don't bring up Jesus because we're worried. Things might get tense. Things may get awkward. I may have family members that don't want to be around me anymore. And so what I'll do is I'll just stay closed off in this environment. I'll conform. I'll keep my mouth shut. I'll fall in line. I won't bring it up. Right? Some of us, we go home to neighborhoods. And we know our neighbors don't know Jesus, but here's the reality. We grew up in church, and we've been church people for a long time, and what we believe in our hearts is church people don't hang out with those kind of people, because if I hang out with those kind of people, my other church friend people will associate me with what they do, and I don't want to be associated with what they do, because people might talk something bad about me, and as a church people, I don't want other church people to say bad stuff about me. Who cares what they say about you? next door neighbor needs Jesus what are you so worried about religious people for right but that's some of us in the room students maybe you're a student here and you go to school every day and you don't stand up and defend that person that everybody else makes fun of because you're worried that your group of friends might push you out if you do or you go to school every day and that lonely kid that sits at the lunch table by themselves every day, you know you need to reach out, man. You feel God putting it on you. You need to take time. You need to love on them in the name and, and for the sake of Jesus. But you don't go because you're worried that your friends might push you out and you're going to be the only other kid sitting at that lonely kid lunch table. Right? So again, it's conformity, it's shutting my mouth, it's falling in line because I'm worried about what it might cost me if I live in obedience and faithfulness to Jesus Christ. If any of these descriptions sound anything like you, I truly believe that there are two big issues that you have got to face and overcome through the power of the Holy Spirit. And the first issue is this, is just fear. You've got to be able to confess and to come to grips with, there's a part of you that's just really scared to live in faithfulness and obedience to Jesus. I would assume that maybe there are some of us in the room today who fear far much or far greater what it might cost us to live in devotion to Jesus Christ than what it might cost people outside the walls of this church if we don't. 
Let me just say that again. I fear that there are people in here today that fear far greater what it might cost you to live out your faith in Jesus Christ than what it might cost those people out there if you don't. Right? Like there are people in here who we live lives every day with lost people, people who know that um, are people who you know don't know Jesus far from God, but again, you are scared to open your mouth and to share Christ with them, even though you know if their life were to end today, it'd be a really bad day for them because they don't know Christ and they're on their way to spending an eternity separated from God, but you're fearful about what it might cost you to open your mouth and to share Jesus with them. Do you hear how insane that sounds? And listen, church, I'm not here to make you feel guilty. I hope you know I'm not the guilt guy by now, right? I'm just here to remind you of what's true. And here's what we know is true from the scriptures. We know that cowardice is not a characteristic of people who love Jesus. In Revelation 21.8, the Bible actually says that there, are, there is no place for the cowardly in the kingdom of God. 2 Timothy 1.7, the Holy Spirit that God put inside of us when we came to faith in Jesus is not a spirit that gives us fear, right, as we live in this world. It's a spirit that gives us what? Power and courage and love and self-control and a sound mind. And if you're wrestling with fear today when it comes to obedience to Jesus, you've just got to know that your fear is not coming from the Lord. It's not coming from God. I believe it's coming from the enemy, and he's trying to drive fear into your heart to keep your mouth shut when it comes to Jesus, because when you do that, he wins when it comes to the lives of other people. He continues to wreck and to damage and to destroy those people who don't have a relationship with God when we keep our mouth shut. But when you open your mouth and you share Jesus, well, that's when the Holy Spirit starts to work, and that's what the enemy is trying to keep you from. Some of us today, we've got to confess our fear to the Lord. We've got to repent of our fear. Some of us today, we need to start today by praying and ask God to fill us with his Holy Spirit daily to give us courage. We need to get in God's word so that we can hear from him regularly. We need to confess our fear to a godly friend who can pray for us and encourage us and remind us who we are in Jesus Christ. Fear's not coming from him, church. The second thing that some of us face today and we've got to overcome is shame. Shame. Now, this one's tough. Um, but I think that there's several people, maybe here and also outside the walls of our church and other churches who say they know Jesus, say they believe Jesus Christ has died in their place for their sins, that he conquered death so that they could have eternal life, yet they're still very ashamed to bring up the name of Jesus around certain people and certain groups of people. Right, and maybe you're here and that's you. And I don't know the reasons for shame, like why you feel like you gotta keep the name of Jesus quiet and why you can't say it at times around certain people, um, but you do, right? I mean, maybe for you it's, man, I feel like when I bring up Jesus around people, I'm imposing my beliefs on them, and that makes me feel bad. It's just shame, man. That's what it is. Um, maybe for some of us, it's, I've seen other relationships and other situations where somebody brings up Jesus and everything gets a little awkward, and I don't want to be that guy that makes all my relationships awkward by talking about Jesus. It's shame, right? And again, I'm not trying to beat you up, or I'm not trying to make you feel guilty. I want to remind you what's true. Listen to what Jesus says is true in Luke 9, 9.26. He says, for whoever is ashamed of me and my words... For whoever's ashamed of me and my words, of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in his glory, in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Jesus is reminding us that there's coming a day 
for the sky will open up and he will come as God, a Savior, and Lord and set up his throne here on the earth. And he's bringing 100 million angels with him when he does that. And Jesus is saying that on that day when you and I see him face to face, that for those of us that lived lives on this earth ashamed of Jesus Christ, that on that day we see him, that Jesus is actually going to say to God the Father about us, I don't want to talk about them. I don't want to talk about them. So-and-so, that's a tough one. I don't don't really want to talk about them. Listen to me, church. I don't want that for us. I don't want that for anybody in the room. I don't want that for me. And again, what we've got to understand is shame just like fear. That does not come from God. And some of us need today to confess that shame to God, to repent of it, to ask God to fill us up with his spirit, to give us courage, to give us boldness, to remember why we're here on the earth. Church, you understand that as followers of Christ, we're here to make Jesus known to the world, right? And for some of us, it's got to start by us making a decision today to live lives that please God rather than man. We've got to quit being ashamed of Jesus and celebrate and talk about and share the great news about the God who became man to come and save and rescue sinful people and to give them eternal life. What better news is that? You don't have to do anything. You don't have to earn anything. He's done it all for you. You just place faith in him and you have salvation. That is great news. There's nothing to be ashamed of, church. Some of us, man, that's where it's got to start. In the book of Philippians, the apostle Paul writes about remaining faithful to God in the midst of suffering and persecution. This is one of my favorite passages from the scriptures. And I want you to listen to what he says. He says, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. What Paul's saying here is this. It's going, you live your life every day, it should be worthy of the good news of who Christ is and what he's done for sinful people. So when people look at your life, that word worthy literally means to balance out in the original Greek language. So when somebody looks at the way you live your life and they hear the good news that Jesus is God and he came to rescue sinful people and he, gave to, he came to give sinful people eternal life, they should be able to hear that message and look at your life and go, Well, that makes sense. I believe that news is really believable as I look at the way that person lives their life. He says, live your life like that so that whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear of you that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it's been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Paul's just reminding us here. Listen, church, that when we stand in the midst of persecution and when we stand together as brothers and sisters in Christ, again, Paul's reminding us we need each other, right? To live in this world as followers of Jesus, we need each other, especially in times of persecution, hardship, and suffering. And he's going, listen, when you stand and when you fight together for the sake of Jesus Christ, not being afraid by anybody who might come against you or oppose you, he says the salvation that you talk about and the God who you say you love, he becomes very real to the world around you. That's the good news. And Paul says in verse 29 something crazy. He says, you get that God didn't only give you the gift of believing in him, but he also gave you the gift of suffering for his sake, right? How many of us in the room view suffering for the sake of Jesus as a gift? I'll say maybe not many of us, 
The Bible says, no, that's a gift. That's a gift. God gave you suffering for the sake of Jesus. He gave that to you as a gift. Here's why it's a gift, church. Jesus Christ, did he not suffer for us? Far greater than we'll ever understand. And when we get to suffer for him, it's a gift for a couple of reasons. One, it makes us more like him. When you understand what it's like to suffer for another person who suffered for you, you identify with them all the more. So God gave you that gift of suffering for Christ so that you can understand how he suffered for you. But also, again, and we've already said it, it's a gift because when you stand firm through suffering and persecution and come out on the other side, okay, the world understands that the good news we preach about Jesus, it's real and it should be believed. Suffering for Jesus as is a gift. It's not a burden that we do anything in the world to avoid, including hiding our faith. It's a gift. It's a gift. This is exactly what we see happening in Daniel's story. We see him taking suffering, treating it as a gift from God, and using it and allowing it to speak about God's grace and faithfulness to the world. Like We know the rest of Daniel's story, don't we? I mean, these guys who plotted against him, they come back to the king and say, hey, king, you're not going to believe this, but your boy Daniel, um, after you signed that ordinance, man, he's been up in his window, open to the world, praying, worshiping, bowing down to his God. This is really tough for Darius because Daniel was his friend. But again, he had signed into law something that could not be changed, could not be revoked, and so they arrested Daniel and they brought him before the king. And the king said, Daniel, I'm praying your God will save you, man. So they take Daniel, they throw him down into the ground in a hole with a bunch of hungry lions. They roll a rock over it. The Bible says that entire night, King Darius, he couldn't sleep, he couldn't eat. He's just pacing back and forth, waiting for the sun to come back up. And when it finally does, King Darius runs out to where Daniel is. They roll the rock away that's covering the hole, and he yells down into this pit of lions, Daniel, has your God saved you? And I love to imagine the story that, you know, Daniel, maybe he's uh, responding with a big yawn, right? Wiping the sleep out of his eyes. He's still cuddled up next to, you know, 500-pound lion. Thank you, buddy. You were a great pillow last night. Daniel stands up. Yeah, my God saved me. I was faithful to him, and he's been faithful to me. Here I am, still standing. I'm still alive. Praise God for how powerful he is. They pull Daniel out of the den of lions. The Bible says they go get the men that plotted against Daniel along with their wives, along with their children, and they throw them into the pit with those lions. And the Bible says that they overpowered those people before they hit the ground and they crushed their bones into pieces. That's the part of the story we leave out of our kids' Bibles, right? But this is what happens. And Daniel, man, he's standing there face to face with Darius, and Darius decides that he's going to write a letter to the entire world about what Daniel's God has done to him, or done for him, and I just want you to listen to this. Daniel 6, 25 through 27, here's what he writes. King Darius wrote to all the people's nations and languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people are to tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion shall be to the end. 
He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth. He who has saved Daniel from the power of the lions. Church, are you standing firm in faithfulness and obedience and devotion to Jesus Christ, no matter what it may cost you? Again, listen to me. When you do, God is glorified and it is good for all people because people get an understanding of how true and how real what you say you believe truly is. Are you standing? Are you standing firm? Listen, Jesus is not the used car salesman, right? Who paints a beautiful picture of what it might cost to follow him and then you get into it and you realize, man, this thing's a dud. This isn't what I signed up for, right? Luke 9, 23, Jesus says, you want to come follow me? If you want to be my disciple, deny yourself. Forget about your existence. Take up your cross and live in obedience to me daily, no matter what it may cost you. Come be a part of what I'm doing in the world. If you're a follower of Jesus, you will suffer. But it's a gift. You know Jesus all the more, and you have every opportunity in the world to let Jesus be real in and through you to a world that's just waiting and watching for how you're going to respond. So this morning, again, if you know Jesus and you struggle with fear, you struggle with shame, you worry about what living for Jesus is really going to cost you, um, some of us, again, we just need to repent. We need to come before God and ask him to change us. Pray for courage. Pray for boldness. Others of us that are here that don't know Jesus, and this is always a fun invitation to give. Place your faith in Jesus today. He's God, Savior, He's Lord. And again, I know it's fun when I go, man, if you follow him, you're going to suffer. It's going to be tough at times. And then to say, come follow him. But you know, that's what Jesus did. That's what's happening across the world when, you know, places like China come be baptized and you could lose everything. And people are being baptized in droves. I don't ever want to be the pastor here in America that goes, come follow Jesus. Life will be awesome. No, come follow Jesus. It may be tough. People might hate you. Life may be hard. But listen to me. God loves you, and he wants a relationship with you, and you've got all eternity to live with him in perfection. No suffering, no pain, no crying, no death. Everything exactly as God intended. You might have to hang on for a little while to get there, but it's coming. And so I'm just telling you, God loves you care who you are, what you've done, what your past looks like, what your present is defined by. God loves you desperately and he proved that by wrapping himself in flesh and coming to the earth as a man named Jesus Christ and living a perfect life for you and laying down his life in death to pay for your sins to God and by defeating death three days later when he rose from the grave so that you could have eternal life. Come and follow him. Put your faith in him. Believe that about Jesus. Turn from your sin and come follow him. That's the invitation today. So I want to ask you, if you will, just to pray with me. And if you need to place faith in Jesus, there's no magic prayer that saves anybody. There's no magic words. Again, the Bible just says it's about repentance and confession. You need to be willing today to say, God, I am done doing life my way. I'm done living how I want to live. God, I want to live the life you created me to live. And you need to come to God this morning and just say to him, right in this moment, the quietness of your heart, God, I believe Jesus is God. And I believe he came to this earth and he lived a perfect life because I can't live a perfect life on my own. And I believe he died for my sins at the cross, God, so that I could be forgiven by you. 
And I believe that Jesus, he rose from the dead three days later, God, so that he holds the keys to life and death in his hands. And he can give me life, new life, and eternal life, God. And that's what I want. God, save me. Forgive me. Rescue me. Make me a new person. God, give me eternal life. I want to know that when this life is over, God, I will spend eternity with you and your kingdom. And God, I don't care what it costs me. God, I want to know you. I want to follow you. I want to be a part of what you're doing in the world. The promise again is that, God, you confess that. You believe that. You repent of your sins. God will save you. Put his spirit inside of you so that you can live the life he's called you to live. And you can walk out of this place today knowing without a shadow of a doubt that heaven and eternity in the presence of God is yours right now. Father God, you are so good to us, far better to us than we ever deserve and can comprehend, God. And we pray more than anything this morning, you just be honored and glorified in this place. God, we thank you that Jesus has suffered for us. God, help us to be people who suffer in grace for the sake and the name of Jesus Christ in this world. And we pray that you're honored and glorified through our lives. We love you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray these things.